the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter 12, On the Run. Susan tried to stop running, but slipped and fell in the churned snow. Several more shots cracked in close succession. Thud, ping, choof. A spray of snow showered down on her. She looked at the rifle in her hand. They're shooting at me because I have a gun. For a moment, she thought she could throw the rifle away, that the soldiers wouldn't fire at an unarmed civilian. She could run to catch up with Malcolm. More shots hit the truss beside her. Rust flakes peppered her face. It was clearly too late to be the innocent civilian. Two soldiers stepped onto the eastern end of the bridge, covering behind the end girders. She could not get past them. She could see and hear the Kenworth roaring through the upshifts, gaining speed up the river road. Her soul sank at the sight. No! Her way back to Cheshire was leaving without her. A shot whistled over her head. Instinct took over. Susan scrambled back on hands and knees until she could get her feet underneath her. She ran faster than she thought she could. On the western end of the bridge, truck number 48 sat with its cab on the edge of the deck. She could see someone, two people, covering behind the girders and shooting back. She slid to a stop. Was everyone shooting at her? An arm waved her on. It was Charon. She realized that they were firing at the guardsmen to give her covering fire. She scrambled to a full run again. The shots all seemed to be coming from Charon and the men at the western end. They were certainly the loudest. She ran past Lima too. The cab doors stood open. The drivers were pulling on their backpacks as they ran back toward the country road. Lima three was backing up into the woods to make a three-point turn. Good luck, guys, Charon shouted to the running men as they jumped onto Lima three's running boards. Charon ran alongside Susan. The path will be faster. What happened? She said between breaths as she ran. The two of them ran up the well-trodden trail into the woods that was the shortcut to her road. Drone! Charon could only speak in short bursts, too. Didn't take the bait. Flew right over us. They burst out of the woods and onto the fire trail, still at a run. The trucks had churned up several inches of snow into a greasy slush, not unlike ankle-deep applesauce. They ran, instead, on the thinner snow on either side of the ruts. Hal spotted it! Shot it down! Why didn't any... anyone... say anything? Susan demanded. She looked back. Some men in gray also emerged from the woods trail onto the logging road and ran after them. Hoped... Everyone got across first. Susan glanced back to see one of the gray men slip in the slush. His buddies stopped to help him up. Susan and Charon widened their lead. She kept glancing back. After they crested the high point of the ridge, there was no sign of the gray men. Did we, did we lose them? She asked. I doubt it. Just got a better lead. Keep running. Don't give up any lead on a pursuer. 
I've totally screwed this up, she thought. Why couldn't I have been stronger? She berated herself. I let those memories get the best of me. I should have stayed in the truck. I could have beat this. As they ran down the gentle slope toward the dairy farm, they could hear more shots. These came from in front of them. Charon didn't slow down. He looked left and right as he ran. They crossed the valley road in an instant. In that brief moment, Susan could see two of the staging area workers behind stacks of concrete blocks. They were firing down the road. She could hear shots coming at them, too. They stopped briefly at the open barn doors. Susan bent over, hands on her knees. She wheezed deeply, trying to catch her breath. Connors emerged, carrying a pack and a gray AR. Beside him, Susan could see the map table engulfed in flames. Not quite as tidy as Donetsk, he said to Charon as he pulled on his pack. But better than Mosul, eh? Yeah, let's hope for more Donetsk and less Mosul, said Charon. Yeah, but like Mosul, I had to put up a delaying action while the guys got out to their vehicles. No jeeps for us. We're hoofing it. Good luck, Connors. You too. Catch you next time. Connors turned and whistled loudly. The men behind the blocks fired once more, then turned and ran. One ran into the woods to the right. The second ran alongside Connors up the valley road. We need to scatter too, Charon said. This way. He pointed west, then ran between the barn and a shed. Susan followed, having no idea where they were going. Didn't matter much. Fear wasn't fussy. She was certain that the soldiers would know it was her that killed two of their fellow guardsmen. It would not go well for her if she was captured. She vowed to never be captured again. If I, if I hadn't been so weak, I would have been on my way to Cheshire and not running for my life through the woods. Oh, why couldn't I have held on when it mattered most? Oh, I totally screwed this up. Totally. A blind man could follow our trail in this snow, Charon said over his shoulder. We'll never be able to lose him. Gotta outpace him. Sweat dripped down Susan's face. She took off her cap and unzipped her coat. It was a lot of work, running in the snow. She looked back down the hill at the dairy farm. Through the trees, she could see three guardsmen. They pointed up the hill at them. They weren't shouldering their rifles, but plowing into the snow trail Charon and Susan had left behind. Three men are following us, she said. Keep going as fast as you can. We're more motivated than they are. Charon and Susan crested a rise and descended into a stream valley. The snow was thinner on the highest ground, so they could make faster time. Nonetheless, her legs ached, her neck and shoulders hurt, the cold air stung her dry throat, her lower back and arms hurt, her mouth was dry, her stomach was twisted in a knot. I, I can't keep, keep up this pace, her voice was hollow and raspy. Charon turned to follow the frozen stream bed up into the little valley. He seemed obsessed with looking at the slope to their left. Did he even hear me? What is he looking for? Those guys can't be up there. They couldn't have gotten that far that fast. Does he think there's others up there? She glanced over her shoulder, but could see no one else. Had they widened their lead, or did Charon think the men went a different way, up along the ridge? Did you hear me? I, I can't keep going this fast. I'm wiped out, too. Charon stopped to lean against a tree, heaving deep breaths. We need to shake this tail before we burn out, and up there is the place to do it. 
he pointed to a low cluster of rocks up on the left side of the valley. He stopped and swung his backpack around. What are you doing? she wheezed. You just said never give up a lead. We need to get going, not mess around with this stuff. She was inclined to run ahead without him, but with no idea where to run, that vetoed her impulse. Getting us a better lead. Charon dug in the side pocket of his backpack. Susan didn't see the point of his fussing. She looked down the valley and up at the rocks. There was no sign of the guardsmen yet, though she thought she could hear voices. I won't let them catch me again. We need to get going. Charon didn't look up while he worked with a spool of wire. A general I know once said, There are only two types of people, hunters and victims. Which one do you want to be? But that's a stupid question. Who would choose to be a victim? Right. So, we're going to be the hunters. He twisted a thin steel wire around a hunk of bark, low on the tree on one side of the frozen stream. He unspooled a few yards of wire as he crossed the stream. Are, are they supposed to trip on that? They'll totally see it. She wanted to assume that he knew what he was doing, but the fear of getting captured again was about to overrule her assumptions. No tripping. I want him to see it. It's a diversion, he said. Go trample some snow behind that tree, then smooth it out. Why? I'll explain later. No time now. Susan quickly churned several inches of snow and then smoothed it over with a few swipes of her glove. She hurried after Charon, who high-stepped it through the snow, up the stream bed. After forty or fifty yards, he veered left and doubled back. Heading back toward her pursuers sent a shiver down her neck. It ran against her primal instincts. What good would it do to double back? Their trail in the snow was too obvious to miss. They needed to gain raw distance. Faint gunfire echoed through the trees. It was not their pursuers, but back at the dairy farm, or farther. Nonetheless, it was a reminder that there were more than just three guardsmen. Susan shook her head as she ran through ankle-deep snow. I was so close. I could have been on my way. Why did I let it get to me? Charon began to crouch as he ran through the thinner snow. Susan matched his form. They were near the gentle ridge that marked the western side of the little stream's valley. The rocky outcrop that Charon had pointed to was coming up on their left. Charon dropped to hands and knees. Susan did, too. They crawled up to the edge of the rocks. Charon dropped to his belly and wriggled like a snake. He held his rifle ahead of himself, crawling on his elbows. Is he going to shoot those men? Decades of social inertia within her were momentarily aghast at the thought of ambushing the guardsmen. Social inertia was quickly swept aside by self-preservation. If that was what it took to avoid another small dark room again, then so be it. She held her ugly rifle in front of her and crawled on her elbows. Susan peeked slowly over the crest of the boulder. The three gray men were slogging through the snow of their well-churned trail. They had their weapons at low ready. The larger man, in the lead, pointed up the stream valley. She shouldered her rifle and centered the front sight in the ghost ring on the larger man. If Owen hadn't stopped her back at the gravel pit, she might have shot that skull man and never had to go through her ordeal. No big guardsman was ever going to capture her again. She held her breath and tracked the big man with the front sight. Hold on, fireball, whispered Charon. He nudged her to break her concentration. They're not capturing me again, she growled between clenched teeth. 
her eye focused on the front sight in the center of the gray shape. They won't, but we have to do it right. Need just one shot. She didn't understand how to take out three men with one shot. Bravado? Sight on the far guy, he said. Aim for his leg. If I miss my man, you hit yours. She sighted on the far man. It wasn't the larger man, which her gut wanted to target. The bigger man, in the lead, stopped at a spot where Charon had strung his wire. He signaled for the other two to cover him. The two knelt behind trees on either side of the trail, their rifles aimed upstream. The first man carefully examined the tree with Susan's smoothed-out snow. The report from Charon's rifle was deafening. She jumped, as much as one can jump while laying on snowy boulders. She saw the nearest man crumple, holding his leg. He screamed in pain. Charon wriggled backward quickly. Done! Many shots rang out from the valley, but none seemed to strike the boulders. Susan wondered if it was that one-shot rule that Martin told her about. The guardsman didn't know where that one shot came from. Susan wriggled backward until she saw Charon get up on all fours, turn, and crawl over the ridge. She crawled on all fours. That was a fake booby trap, she thought. When Charon rose to his feet to jog down through the snowy woods, she jogged behind him. That should buy us some time and distance, Charon said over his shoulder. We have to keep moving, but don't want to burn ourselves out now. We're still leaving an obvious trail, Susan objected. True, but those three won't be following it. Give us some time to build a lead. Why? Uh, you only wounded one of them. That's the idea. Wounding one takes at least one of the others out of action to tend to him. The third guy wasn't going to go after two of us alone. That one shot took out three. They'll call for help. That'll take the wounded guy back. Eventually someone will get back to our trail. We need to have a healthy lead before then. The sound of sporadic distant shooting seemed to come from nowhere in particular. Sounds bounced off the leafless hills like billiard balls. Charon kept a vigorous pace along the slope of the adjacent stream valley. Susan glanced at the button compass clipped on her zipper pull. Northwest, roughly parallel to the course they were on before they ambushed the three guardsmen. In the low areas, the snow grew to become knee-deep. It was a workout for Charon. Susan was able to keep up with him in the churned mini-canyon of his trail. Following was not that much less work. Her legs ached to the point of feeling numb, but adrenaline pushed her on. She tried to focus only on the task at hand, traveling as far and as fast as they could. Whenever her mind began to wander, it ran back to the frightening thoughts of being captured again. Images of the dark room would flash across her mind. The only way to keep the demons in the closet was to focus tightly on trying to step where Charon had stepped. She could feel that they were climbing higher. The snow wasn't as deep. Charon stopped. They had passed over the crest of a low, sprawling mountain. The snowy contours of the long valley before them could be seen between the naked trees. Snow's likely to be deeper again down there, Charon said quietly, between heavy breaths. We need to make us some snowshoes. We can't stop and make stuff. We have to keep going. She looked back at the ridge, still trying to catch her breath from the climb. She zipped up her coat again before she cooled off too much. She took a long drink to replace the sweat. Won't take but ten minutes. 
They could be here in ten minutes. Not those three. It's not likely the first wave of guardsmen will have any snow gear. They had to scramble fast. Charon looked around, then pointed to the right. We'll be able to go faster and farther with snowshoes. That stand to hemlock over there, that's our ticket. He stomped through the snow. He pulled out his hunting knife as he studied the low branches. Look for branches a little thicker around than your thumb, a little more than your arms spread in length. He hacked at a branch with his knife. Also, look for branches with lots of little side branches that stretch out pretty flat, not sticking up every which way. Susan walked among the hemlocks, studying the low branches. Do they have to have needles on them? She held a dead lower branch that was the right size. Nope, dead branches are too brittle. Need the give of green. Get four, two for each foot. Charon had caught off an example. The branch was five foot long, with a wide frond of twigs and needles. Susan quickly found four branches that roughly matched his sample. She laid a pair of her branches in the snow, parallel to each other, following Charon's pattern. He cut off an eight-inch length of a longer branch of each pair, then tied the thick branch ends together. Get out your paracord. Tie your crossbar between them, a little more than an elbow's length back. Tie it tight and make a triangle, see? Gotta be tight. Crisscross your lines like this. Then overlap the ends in the back and tie them together back there, too. Susan matched what she saw, though it felt like it was taking too long. She could imagine the guardsman coming up the stream valley just out of sight. That prompted a sort of nervous ache in her legs. She preferred the numbness from before. Okay, good, Charon said. Now, put your boot on the crossbar, a bit behind the ball of your foot. Lash it to your boot tight, up and around like this. Should be able to pivot up and down, but not twist side to side. Susan stood unsteadily on her makeshift snowshoes, reluctant to move. Just getting to a standing position felt like an accomplishment. The impatient ache in her legs grew. She wanted to run. Remember to pick up your feet higher than usual when you walk. Gotta keep the tips from digging in or you'll trip over them. Wide stance keeps you from stepping on your own snowshoes, too. He stomped like a bow-legged Texan as a demonstration. With that ten-second tutorial, Charon was off. Susan started to follow with exaggerated Texan baby steps. It was exhilarating to walk on top of the snow and to be moving again. Despite the extra effort to walk like a Texan, it was far less work than slogging knee-deep in snow. She noticed that Charon's snowshoes left only a shallow imprint in the snow. The lighter touch still left a visible trail, but it was far less obvious than the canyons they had been leaving. Don't worry too much about breaking twigs and things just yet, he said over his shoulder. I don't mind too much if they can find aerial spore. After our deep footprints, they'll know we came this way anyhow. Susan wondered why it was okay for the guardsmen, knowing which way they went. Charon seemed to be going out of his way to break off low dead twigs. She couldn't bring herself to add to the trail. She wanted to be totally invisible. Charon stopped halfway down the slope to survey the opposite side of the valley with his binoculars. He compared his sightings with a topographic map that he kept folded in his vest pocket. There's a little back road down here, he said. Follows the valley. Looks like it had some vehicle traffic. It's got ruts. You can probably see a piece of I-91 over to the left, between those hills. 
Susan squinted at the rolling landscape. The hills were white lumps with a five o'clock stubble of bare trees. You mean that stripe with no trees? Roger that. The slope on the far side of that little road looks pretty steep. Not good snowshoe terrain. We're going to need to take that little road south a spell until we get to a gap where you're seeing the no-trees zone. Charon pocketed his map and binoculars. He set off down the slope. But wait, Susan said. Why are you going northwest when, when the gap is southwest? Trying to lay up a false trail. Now come on. You'll figure it out pretty quick. He continued to snap off twigs as he walked, leaving a litter trail. It was trickier walking downgrade with the hemlock snowshoes. It was too easy to walk faster than was prudent. She had to hold on to trees as she passed them to resist gravity. Doing so, she added to the litter trail, whether she wanted to or not. Descending the little valley, Susan realized that she felt more comfortable up on the ridges where she could see greater distances. The sides of the valley loomed up two to four hundred feet higher. It felt confining. Fortunately, there was little time to let her mind wander or unwanted thoughts to creep in. Navigating the wooded slope took nearly all of her mental bandwidth. Okay, said Charon. He stopped at the edge of the woods. That's the little valley road. What we're going to do is approach it almost head on, 90 degrees to it, then veer north to intercept it. Understand? Susan nodded, more in that she understood his words than she knew what he meant. Charon looked skeptical at her empty nod. We want to make it look like we're turning north, like we plan to go that way. We're really going to go south. Oh, Susan felt dumb for a moment. Then a thought occurred to her. Why won't they just see our tracks going south and figure it out? That's a good question, Charon said. They might, if we stayed in our snowshoes. Once we're on the tire ruts, we'll stomp north a couple of dozen yards, making fewer and fewer marks. Then we take off our snowshoes, put on the rag booties, and double back south. Susan smiled at the trickiness. Being tricky felt more like being in control. It promised escape. Charon walked in the left-hand rut, Susan in the right. Every now and then, he would step wide so his snowshoe made an obvious mark in the sides of the rut. Susan did a few stray scrapes, too, but fewer as they traveled north. This is far enough, he said. Try and balance on one foot, so it doesn't look like we just stood here. He untied the raised snowshoe. He tied on the rag booty, then did his other foot. He tossed Susan some white rags so that she could do the same. They walked south in the rag booties, careful to keep it to the center of the smoothly packed ruts. Susan welcomed the concentration it took to stay steady. Her neck was growing stiff from the tension. Even her eyebrows seemed to hurt. Yet it was a welcome respite from churning through her cloudy future and avoiding her past. Luck's on our side, princess, said Charon. I was wondering how we'd make the transition to the highway. Down there's our ticket. That little stream is still open and running. We can use that to hide our trail. The tricky part will be getting there without leaving any marks. Your boots are waterproof, right? Uh, yeah. Good. You got two tarps, right? Well, drone tarp and a, a thinner one for the sleeping bag. Perfect. You'll need them both. Fold them down to be about uh, two by four feet. Got to do it standing up. We don't want to leave any knee impressions or other spore. 
Once they had folded their tarps, they tied their snowshoes back onto their boots. They laid the tarps on the higher snow outside of the ruts and stepped up over onto the tarps, like welcome mats. Lay one tarp in front of you, step on it, then move the back tarp in front, he said. Don't drag it, leaves bigger marks. Lift it and set it down, then step on. This is very slow, Susan complained. The guys looking for us won't be going this slow. It's just for a little while, he said. Just enough to break a trail. A good man tracker will be keen enough to spot the shallow marks the tarps are making. The average guy ain't going to notice anything. He's looking for boot prints, or maybe snowshoe prints. The rounded rocks of the stream bed were slippery and awkward to walk on. Walking in the stream bed was faster and more to her liking. What little granular sediment they kicked up was swept downstream. They stopped at the base of the highway embankment. The stream continued on through a small culvert in a concrete bulkhead. The forest and brush were thick, right up to the guardrail. Charon scanned up the left bank of the stream, looking for the best way up. Feet cold? Stupid question. Just checking. We should tarp our way out of the water, but we'll have to change things up on the highway. Keep your tarps folded. They crouched behind the guardrail, listening. Tires made less noise on snow, so it required extra vigilance. There was no noise to hear, other than a few distant crows into the west. Let's go, he whispered. No time to waste. You lead. Head for that far guardrail on the southbound side. But we'll need to zig and zag to avoid making a straight line. Understand? Susan nodded. It was logical enough. A straight line of prints across the snow would itself be a single larger thing to spot. Several smaller segments would be less obvious, even if not invisible. She began tarping her way out to the tire ruts on the northbound lanes. Charon followed with a bushy pine branch. South in the ruts a while, he said. Then tarp out to the median. Susan felt her fingers, toes, and lips tighten up in the anxiety of crossing a wide open space. She could empathize with how Martin's chickens felt while crossing the open yard. So exposed, so vulnerable. Snowshoes alone through the median will be okay, Charon said. He walked sideways in his snowshoes, using the branch to brush out his imprints. This is usually a totally rookie move and a waste of time. Stuff of cheap movies. As obvious as a footprint. There were no tire ruts in the southbound lanes. Susan zigged northwest in snowshoes, then zagged southwest with tarps. Then, then why do it? Why are you trying to look like a rookie? No, odds are, Charon spoke while brushing the snow, that they'll be looking from vehicle windows, not up close. Just gotta soften any imprint shadows so as to avoid catching their attention. Susan waited for Charon behind the guardrail. It's about noon. He stowed his tarps across his pack and studied his topo map. We need to get to the top of that hill there before dark. They followed the edge of the snow-covered hayfield, past an abandoned house. The road hadn't been driven on since the snow. They began to trudge up the slope. The faint sound of truck engines caught their attention. Head for those pines. Find one with low branches and hug behind the trunk. Susan found a younger tree that still had needled lower branches. She crouched behind the trunk with her drone tarp draped around her. She would become as invisible as she had been when Owen was hunting crows. 
She could see the wide swath of I-91 through the naked maple and birch branches. Two tan six-wheeled vehicles rolled up from the south. Susan's breathing sped up, her muscles tensed at the sight of potential captors. The two vehicles slowed to a stop, roughly fifty yards from where Susan and Charon crossed the highway. Four soldiers, dressed in gray, got out of the second vehicle. Charon studied them with his binoculars. The vehicles rolled on to a spot fifty yards north of their crossing. Four more men got out. The transports rolled on northward, repeating the process every hundred yards or so. The men in gray had snowshoes, real snowshoes. They stepped over the guardrail, split up into pairs, and fanned out into the woods. They're looking for us? Susan whispered as quietly as she could. She fully expected to be scolded for making any sound at all, but she wanted reassurance. Not just us, Charon whispered back, but yeah. They watched in silence while the small gray figures disappeared amid the trees. Good news, Fireball. Looks like they've drawn up their cordon on 91. That means they didn't think anyone could have gotten that far by now. They think they've got us boxed in. That's great, but I still don't like being this close to their box. Me either. But we gotta lay low a little while longer. Let them get farther east before we move. Susan grumbled to herself. She did not like to wait. I've had people ask if the impromptu snowshoes that Charon and Susan made were really a thing or not. You know how you read something in a novel and wonder if the author was just making it up? Well, the hemlock snowshoes were real. I made a pair while writing this section of Book 4. I wanted to make sure they actually worked before working them into my story, but I also wanted some photos for the back cover art for the paperback. I'll have a post about the Hemlock Snowshoes on my Buy Me a Coffee page and my Patreon page so you can read all about it. Which is a good reminder for me to say thank you to my supporting members and to all of you who bought me coffees. I really do appreciate your support. <laughs>